I'm here as per usual with Pat Martin. How are All you, right. Pat? Not too bad. Yeah, not too bad. Looking forward to the show. Yeah. Yeah, you're not on it. Um, I'm not doing it for the sixth time in a row. You're starting to annoy me. Okay. To the extent where I don't want to be around you, and there's no way that I'm speaking to you into a microphone for an hour-long period. Yeah. Instead, I'm calling across the Atlantic. Vince Young, ladies and gentlemen. coping with the whole coronavirus thing my man thanks mike for having me yeah man it's um different <laughs> kind of to adapt to the situation and making sure your family your kids are safe and making sure you're definitely paying attention to everything that's being said of how to protect yourself so i've been just dis- how we do it brother a lot of listeners here are in the uk they're in ireland there's a lot of american football fans out there but for people who aren't necessarily too knowledgeable about the topic we're talking to an icon. A lot of people in life talk about highs and lows. They talk about successes. They talk about pressure and they talk about entertainment. But not many people who are 36 years of age have had just as entertaining a life as you have had, Mr. Young. Yeah, it's been a blessing. Definitely been a blessing. Of course, we talk about the famous Rose Bowl game of early 2006 against USC when you scored three touchdowns and played a pivotal part in what many people consider the, the greatest college football game ever played. But does it ever get frustrating for you that so much media focus on negativities and, and what could have been as opposed to really trying to engage with your side of the story about how things worked out? Because for me, you seem like somebody who really focuses on family life and what's really important as opposed to coming the next Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. Do you think that there is a narrative that focuses on the negatives of your life? Well, yeah, my career was a little bit different than the Tom Brady's and the you know, Aaron Rodgers guys, you know, those guys had really good coaches that believed in them. And mine was the total opposite. I just had the owner that believed in me. And, you know, me and my head coach kind of bumped heads a lot. So from on from there, my career kind of was up and down. I mean, it was fun. And I think I did a lot of good things. I think I could have been, you know, a, a Hall of Fame quarterback. But, you know, when the perceptions out there that you're not a hard worker, you this and that. It was tough to fight every day. So, you know, when that type of stuff happens, it takes the fun out of the game for you. When you say that the possibility was to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, I don't think anybody can doubt that based off what you proved. Again, for listeners who aren't overly engaged with American football, we're talking to the greatest darn quarterback that college football has ever seen. And you played for the biggest brand, which comes in the shape of the Texas Longhorns. But what is also fascinating is your route to achieving what you achieved in the game. And that started in humble upbringings in Houston, Texas, where your childhood, you saw a lot of things that a lot of children, your children now, would not see. You saw people get shot in your hallway. You saw your uncle running from guns. You saw violence at such a young age that most people would only ever see in the film screens. Yeah, I've seen a lot for a young man. So my childhood bringings was, it was fun some days and it was hard to others. So it definitely made me tough as a young man to you know, fight all the stuff that was coming at me in my life that, you know, some of the things that you saw and some of the things the fans seen and a lot of people still to this day, like, how did you get through that? How did you fight through that? You know, it's all about staying humble and and understanding and always another day. It's always another day that you can work at it to get it better. So I kind of use that method 
ever since I was a kid. And, you know, as I got older and older as well. What was your family situation like growing up in Houston? The typical American dream of being the next big quarterback, especially representing a brand such as the Texas Longhorns. It's the typical sunny day picture with a jar of lemonade, the hardworking dad and the happy mother who enjoys cleaning and making beds while there's four beautiful white kids running around the back garden. But it wasn't like that for you, Vince, was it? It was, it was much more of a struggle. Yeah, it was tough. I was raised without a father figure in my household. It was mostly women. I was the baby boy, I had to take care of the, the women in the household. So I had to grow up pretty fast and uh, understand. Was mama tough when she wanted to be? Yeah, she's tough. She's still tough to this day. <laughs> Do you reckon the fact that you had such responsibility on your shoulders at such a young age in terms of being the man of the house in a particularly rough area made football not really carry the pressure it carries for most young kids? And in a way, it came easier to you because this was an escape. This was fun. Yeah, it was fun for me. It got me away from what everything I was going through at the time with my family. So uh, sports was my outlet, and I enjoyed playing it. Every sport from basketball, baseball, running track. But I wanted different from my family, so I had to focus in on my books and as well as sports in order for my family to have the things that we have today. And that was always your goal when you were sitting at home fantasizing about the future. You didn't want to be the next Troy Aikman. You just wanted your family to have a new life. I looked up to those guys and respected each and last one of those guys. But uh, again, my situation was different than a lot of these other quarterbacks that was out there in the world. So uh, it was a tough upbringing for me. And it wasn't about, you know, you know, some of the goals that other people have. My goals was making sure my family had to get out of the situation of paycheck to paycheck. It was trying to get them to a better life for for work, going to school, just different things that everybody else had that we didn't. And I wanted that more for my family. So that's what I focus on that aspect of it. Did you find it easy, Vince? Did the football come easy? Did the sea used to part? Did you not hear footsteps? Was it just a natural gift? Uh, it wasn't easy at all. <laughs> Took a lot of hard work behind the scenes that a lot of people didn't see that I put woke up, you know, the days when I, when I do speeches and other people say, why do you give thanks to yourself? I'm like, because I'm the one that woke up those them days that y'all didn't see. Y'all only saw the games, the Sundays and the Saturdays. You didn't see, you know, 360 days of hard work. What about when you're in high school and you're the most talked about high school athlete, possibly in Texan football history, certainly Houston? If some say you were getting more coverage than the actual Texans themselves at one point, and you had those incredible seasons, the L1 senior season in high school. What was it like being that guy? Because over here in this side of the world, we watch a lot of things about American culture. We watch the films. We watch the typical high school quarterback getting all the chicks, driving in his lowrider, more or less, through the estates and throwing house parties. It's the dream position to be in. Were you the king of town? Well, I mean, you know, it was I don't really focus in on that. You know, again, I was a humble kid. I, I saw what I went through to get to those those accolades that, you know, you're talking about. So I didn't really focus on that. I was more so of a homebody kid, uh, stayed to myself. And I was just happy about the situation and I didn't want to mess it up. So I was kind of more so of this hard worker, man, and not feeding into all the other stuff that, you know, what comes with it. Huge respect. At the start, obviously, the, the area in Houston you came from was one that it would have been difficult to avoid things like gang violence, things like getting led down the wrong path. How did you ensure that that wasn't happening to you? Was there a moment where it nearly did happen and you saw the light or were you focused very, very young to not be involved in that? Yeah, I think, you know, just uh, in my middle school time, I got into it with some gang members and, you know, while I was getting in trouble with my mom, you know, she just basically said that, you know, you keep us keep this this uh this path down that you're going you're going to end up dead in jail or crippled 
And that's pretty much what I was saying, you know, when, when I was hanging out with the gangs and doing those type of things. You would have known guys were putting early grades. Yeah, I know a whole bunch of guys that's not here today. <laughs> we're talking gunshots. We're talking genuine, as bad as it gets, kind of eight-mile stuff going on here. Yeah, they're still locked up to the day. The stories go on, you know, what the neighborhood that I grew up in. Where did your mother get the strength, Vince? How did she climb through the mud of her circumstances? No husband there and having three kids, drugs and alcohol that would have been floating around the area she lived in. It must take some incredible strength. I mean, what a lady. Yeah, she's a tough lady. I just think, you know, she just hit a peak, you know, from dealing with all that stuff. A friend of hers got saved and started to preach. And in the process of that, he he grabbed her one day and took her to church and and told her, well, if you don't clean up your life, you, you, the things that you're doing is going to funnel down to your kids. And I guess that message kind of changed her life from ever since that day. You've played with a lot of great players, a lot of good running backs, a, a lot of good wide receivers. But what I'd be correct in saying that you believe that our Lord Savior is your greatest ever teammate. Definitely. That's the boss, man. <laughs> that's my best friend. Is there ever times when you question your faith? Yeah, a lot of times when I went through a lot of my, my adversity, I was wondering, like, God, is you there or are you there? I kind of, you know, turn my back a lot of times on God, but tend to always come back and uh, ask for forgiveness and, you know, move on from that situation. He, he definitely forgives. Do you believe God to be responsible for your talent? Would you thank everything you were given in order to bring your family out of the poverty that it suffered? He had his hand on your shoulder. His hand on your brain is Tupac one son. Definitely was. I, yeah, definitely. Without him, I wouldn't be, you wouldn't even know who Vince Young is. <laughs> what would you say to non-believers of religion? Because I understand that obviously down south in the USA where you're from, there's a huge focus on God. And that is something that brings a lot of joy and a lot of comfort to people's lives. But over here in the UK and Ireland, there's more of a secular movement, more accepted kind of atheism that's happening in society. What would you say to people that just said that you were an unbelievable talent who could run on water and who knew the game at college level like no one we'd ever seen. Would you disrespect atheists? I respect everybody religion stands, you know, and I feel like everybody should do the same. I, I wouldn't step on nobody's toes. I wouldn't tell nobody what to do with their religion. That's who they are. That's how they raise. That's why I'm blessed to not only be who I am, but I'm blessed to understand and listen to people's life because it helps me, keeps me humble. And it keeps me open to a lot of things as you know that that the world has to offer. See, in high school, you're setting records, you're completely cleaning house in Madison, and then you go to UT, the big arena, the Darren Royal Stadium, McConaughey, Willie Nelson. I mean, that city is Austin, Texas. What a place to be! Lives and breathes football, doesn't it? Yeah, Texas football is huge, <laughs> and Austin, Texas, where University of Texas is, that I had opportunity to play and graduate at. And also bringing a national championship, man. It's, it's a blessing for me. When you're playing in front of a hoodie, 100,000 people, what's it like to literally be the king of town? Were you enjoying the bar scene in Texas? Were you enjoying the music aspect? Were you enjoying the drug scene in Texas? I mean, it must have been difficult to stay disciplined as the big guy on campus, as the cliche says. I mean, it wasn't hard for me because I had goals. I had dreams, you know. I wasn't one of those guys that did all that type of stuff when I was in college. I mean, I had my... My girlfriend, as my wife today, you know, I was focused on graduating and doing the things that I was supposed to do. You know, I went out every once in a while just to be a part of the team and hang out, but I wasn't really focused on all that. Your college girlfriend still remains your wife today, and I respect that because that's old school. High school sweetheart. High school sweetheart. Yeah. Michelle, I'm going to start crying here, but I know you can't see me right now, but I'm going to start tearing up. (laughs) The modern world's missing a lot of that. Was it very hard to keep that discipline? From a faithful point of view, college quarterback, you must have had everything at your disposal. I didn't have those 
hiccups until I got into the pros. But in college, I was really focused on making it again, again, because of the fact that what I wanted to do for my family. So that's that was my my fuse to keep not to be it going out and doing all these things. My fuse was to try to get out. Do you watch any English sport? Some, well, I mean, on, and when the Olympics come on, I watch all that stuff. So it's, you know what Manchester United is. Yes, <laughs> the sleeping giant of European football. It used to dominate the English game, but ever since the godfather of English football, Sir Alex Ferguson, retired, we have never been able to reach the heights that we used to be able to reach year in, year out. When I lived in Austin, I could kind of see an element of Manchester United to the Longhorn brand. We have all these fans. We have all this history. We have the Vince Youngs. You're basically like the Eric Cantona figure. We have Colt McCoy. We're looking at David Beckham there. What do you think can resurrect the sleeping giant that is Longhorn football? And what do you think is the reason they're falling short now in comparison to when you boys were whooping ass weekend in, weekend out? Well, to me, man, I just think that we need to get back to focus on our morals and who Texas is. You know, it's a lot of things is changing. Uh, social media from everybody's all about money. And I never thought that, you know, my university will, you know, always be thinking about money. Because our brand is so big, the money is there. I think it should be more about our morals and who Texas is. With, you know, one of the things that you're taught when you come there, you get taught about the history. And I think that needs to be a, a reset button for our whole entire university, the history of our school. But when you look in those players' eyes now, and I presume you still go to the old game, and I know you've worked with Texas players in the last few years. When you look in their eyes, do you see a fear that you – to not be there in your day, or do you see a lack of ambition? Do you think it's a recruitment problem, or do you think the players just aren't getting the same message as you boys were getting under Mac? Uh, I think it's just different, man. I mean, I think it's it's so much a distraction for them. I mean, because they definitely have the talent, and they have t tremendous talent over there. I think they just need to get back to the morals and, and stop feeding into what everybody else is saying and just worry about everybody in that locker room, everybody, those coaches. And, and go to war for each other, man. And don't worry about all the stuff that's coming, you know, from the the history of like the 2005 championship. Don't worry about that. You make make your own history, and that's what they need to understand. Do you think now with the new format and the way it has a semi final based on ranking and then a final in the national championship, do you think it's a tougher competition to win now than it was in your day? No, it's the same. They put their pads on just as, just like we do. <laughs> So it depends on who wanted more and who fighting for it. And I don't think that we're we – I think we're getting blinded by a lot of other things than just playing football right now. We have a lot of sure. talent on our team. And, yes, these Alabamas and all these teams are good, but we are too. And I think we should get back to – the. Uh, that's what I was saying earlier, get back to our morals and don't forget who you are. Everybody wants to play Texas. Everybody wants to be Texas. So you have to be prepared and ready for that situation. Do you like Ellinger? I love Sam. That's my guy. As a player? As a player and as a young man. Yes, he's a really good young kid. You think he has NFL quality? Definitely. Oh, yeah. He's going to be really good. What do you see for Texas next year? Because they got to start getting into that top 10 ranking consistently, my man. They got a lot of work to do in understanding the the morals and the history, man. They got to get back to that and, um, and kind of change back up to who we are and stop trying to be copycat. Like everybody else, we we are a different team. We're a different university, and we just got to get back to that. That's what I feel. We do need to talk about the Rose Bowls. What was it about the big games that turned you in to a superhuman? Well, just 
again, a lot of the hard work and seven rushing touchdowns in two Rose Bowls. Those moments is is that define who you are, and that's what the same thing that uh, our younger guys at UT need to understand when you're playing in these big games. It defines who you are, in a lot of things in life. So, um, you know, I had those mentors, I had those people teach me that, and I don't think that's being taught. You were known for comebacks. You're somebody who never knew when a game was over. Even if you look at the Rose Bowl in 06, I think it's a 12-point deficit with not much longer than five minutes left. Let your balls hang was the famous thing you said to your fellow players in the huddle before the last drive. Do you reckon not knowing when defeat was coming was based off the fact that you came from a childhood in which you couldn't accept defeat? So to accept defeat on a football field, well, that was just never darn happening. Got to fight, man. You got to believe in yourself and have the confidence in yourself. And I had tremendous confidence in myself that I'm going to do whatever it takes to put it on the line for my teammates and my coaches. What do you remember about that last drive against Pete Carroll's USC in 2006? I mean, this is the mecca of college football. Out of the 300 million people in America, I don't know how many people, A, were watching the game, and B, how many people would have loved to have been a quarterback in that game. I mean, we're talking the highest of the high. It doesn't happen to every kid. It's a big, big deal. And you've won shot. You've won chance. And eventually it gets down to fourth and five. And again, some listeners might not know the story. Vince Young runs it in, and he brings Texas the first championship in over three decades. What did that feel like? Or were you just so sure it was happening because the level of self-belief you had was just off the Richter scale? It was just like a whole lot of weight off my shoulders, you know, from all since I was a kid to trying to get to that position. And it was just a reassurance that, you know, God has a say, last say so on everything. And for me to be that quarterback at that moment through all the hard times that I've been through to get to that point and me for me to lead that team, it was a, a major weight off my shoulder and a lot of happiness, a lot of thank, thankful for, you know, the opportunity to be at that position to win that ball game with my teammates and, and our fans. Was it the best moment you had on a footy field? It was one of them. I got a plenty plenty more. <laughs> it was one of them, though. It was one of the big ones. Top five. What, what's McConaughey's role in the team? Is that just more of a PR thing, or like does he actually lift spirits, or what? what's what's going on with the dude? He's just a good dude, man. He's just a huge fan, man. That's all. <laughs> he went to the University of Texas, and he's just very supportive of his university, and he loves football, so... What would happen if you put a helmet and a pair of pads on him? Would he be any good? <laughs> I think he'll give us all for sure. <laughs> the images of him in the leather jacket on the sideline in 06 are obviously iconic. But straight after the game, he threw a party, didn't he, McConaughey? But you you just went straight home. Yeah, I was exhausted, man. I was very tired. And oh, that's when I made a decision to go to the pros. And I just hung out with my wife and went to sleep. Were you married at that stage? No, we wasn't married. You leave college, you go to the pros, and you're the hottest prospect in town. What is it like being the hottest prospect in town? You know that period between the last game and the draft, and the media are talking about you every... What do you do just day to day? The season's over, you don't have a team yet, newspapers and magazines just kind of make up things about you, and you just have to deal with it. It must be very tough for a young mind to take. Yeah, definitely was tough, and... I mean, again, I had good people around me to, you know, help me tonal and keep a lot of stuff away from me. But it was a definitely a adjustment for me. And after that, you know, it was kind of downhill from there from to go back to work to getting ready for the draft. One of those people who you surrounded yourself with quite luckily is the late, great, iconic Steve McNair. Oh, yeah. That's a major mentor for me that I miss him every day. 
Every day I think about him all the time. That guy could play some ball as well, right? Hands down. My hero. You, you go to a summer camp and, and you meet a guy, and although your father might not have been present in your childhood, spiritually, you found your new daddy right here, Steve McNair. Yeah, that was a blessing when I went to his football camp when I was young. And for him to take me underneath his wing to mentor me throughout my life, uh, that was just, again, a gift from God from that opportunity. To- He's doing that while maintaining one of the most successful professional careers at the time in the game. Yeah, he's mentoring me and also the MVP of the NFL. What a connection was that he saw me and him and he saw, you know, I didn't have a father figure my life the same way that he did when he was growing up. So we kind of just hit it off from there. Because you're in such close contact with somebody who's that great, who's that good week in, week out, who's that professional, who's that fearless. Did that give you confidence when you were completely running the college game of the USA? Was Steve the first call after a big game? Was Steve the voice in your ear that said, you can do it, Vince. You can go right to the top, baby. Phone call away. Phone call away for me that a guy on his status, he took time out of his schedule to answer the phone and mentor me, and I thought that was awesome. The draft comes, and we're talking you. We're talking Reggie Bush. A very good draft. But a few things start coming up about you claiming your arm isn't as good as your running game. You might have underscored in a few tests, but eventually you get drafted number three to the Tennessee Titans. And used to all the, the, the negativity. I use that as motivation. Ironically, you're playing for the team that you grew up watching Steve McNair run out in that number nine shirt for. Exactly. Do you think it's only because your college game is so explosive that people often ignore that your rookie quarterback season in the NFL is up there with the greatest ever? The media when they use these words to describe you, such as bust, they fail to recognize that your rookie season in the NFL is perhaps the greatest ever for a quarterback. Oh, uh, yeah. They don't want to talk about that. They still don't talk about stuff like that. They rather... What is that? I have no idea. <laughs> Do you think if you were a white quarterback, you would have been given an easier ride? I don't look at the negativity. I always stay with the positive. I always feed off the positive, positive energy. Yeah. But you're 36 now. When you're 40, when you're 50, when you're 60, are you moving further away from football to an extent that you don't want to know about it because you associate it with that negativity that people put on you? Or do you plan on being in the game? Are you ever going to address the kind of unfair negativity that is attached to your name off these ridiculous articles that fail to Fail to look at the fact that you're a two-time pro bowler, my man. Whenever that time is to happen, yeah. But right now, I'm kind of focused on myself, you know, focused on God, myself, family, business, and community right now. I'm not really focused on that. I still, I'm still a part of football. I always will because what I did when I played the game, they can't never take that from me. And um, and as the younger generation speaks on me all the time, and the ones that know the truth. They they do a good job of always keeping my name burning in everybody's ears that don't want my, my name burning in their ears. What do you think the, the truth is? Were you just too young with too much money? I think I was just a different breed that they didn't understand, that's all. That I wasn't going to kiss nobody's ass. I was going to be who I am, and you either accept it or not, I'm going to give it all I can to win ball games. That I sign my name to this, this team, this organization, I'm going to give it all. But I'm not going to be one of those guys that lets you speak to me any kind of way. I'm not going to let you do those type of things in me and think you're going to get away with it. 
because again, that's not who I am as a person. So you're not going to treat me like that. And I'm not treating you like that. And I guess I was that guy that a lot of people didn't accept to kiss their butt. And I wasn't, I wasn't ass kissing. After your first season, the media reported that you were considering retirement. That's just people trying to get under your skin because you came with the biggest name of that whole draft class. Vince Young was the face of Madden. Vince Young was everything in mid-90s football. And each year there'd be a new story. But the one about the fact that you said after your first season when you were a pro bowler, I don't know if this is for me. Is that true? Speaking on on on, on that part of it, perception of me as this this guy that doesn't work or I'm I'm only focused on, you know, commercials. I'm not focused on none of that stuff and which they didn't report what I was doing behind the scenes. Again, you know, when the media says something, they listen, people listen. And they, they know that they was getting underneath my skin. So I kind of, I think they kind of used that against me a lot uh, as in my career. Do you hold disdain for the media? Would the media be something that you, you view as important, but it manufactures lies? It did a lot of, it did a lot of lies. So it was tough to fight the battles, you know? And, but I had my, the days on them Sundays and Monday night games, that's when I had opportunity to speak. And that's why I played how I played on those days to make the, those people that was talking about me all during the week. And then when that Sunday or Monday night game came, that was my time to speak. And when I went and won that game, those guys didn't really have nothing to say. So I got the last laugh. If we're talking about your NFL career, let's just put aside for a second the fact that you're definitely in the top five greatest college quarterbacks of all time. But your NFL career, the first season, I think you go eight and five as a starter, as a rookie. You make Pro Bowl, you make Rookie of the Year. Your second season, playoff football for Tennessee Titans. The third season is where you get the injury and Collins comes in. And then on your fourth season, they're 0-6. And then you come in and you become the first ever quarterback to win 5-0 and off the back of an 0-6 start to a season. You leave Tennessee with over a 63% win record. For some reason, you're viewed as a flop, a bust. Why? I don't know, and I don't really care. But again, my accolades and my stats, they can't take that away from me because it shows in the game. And you can go, they don't show the games at all, actually. But for somebody for to, to be a bust and not wasn't uh, a really good quarterback in the pros like they said the film doesn't lie the stats doesn't lie they don't talk about me being a top quarterback rating over the names that they love the tom brady's and the aaron ross they they don't even talk about that stuff feel like i had an okay career i wish i could have finished it high a little bit more but i just know i had a lot of stuff going on uh with my with, with my financials and a lot of stuff that people were taking advantage of me and playing football was my goal and the pros too. Sundays and Monday night games, that was my out to get away from a lot of that stuff. And that's why I went out there and let everything out on the football field to with my teammates to win them ball games. The years I just mentioned are obviously your first four years as a pro. But in your late 20s, when you went to, let's say, Philly, you went to Green Bay, you went to the Browns, you went to the Bills, where things necessarily didn't work out. I could be completely wrong here, Mr. Young, so feel free to tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. Did the death of your mentor, Steve McNair, take a toll on you, which kind of resulted in you not really being able to even focus on the art of quarterbacking to the same extent. It took a little bit, but again, it was, it was, it wasn't that it was got, you know, when uh, they put the perception out there on you that you this, you're not a hard worker, you that and this, it's kind of hard to fight that when you go to every team, you know, and they, they don't really want to get to know you. They just want to see, is this true? 
And did you still have the same speed though? Did you still have the same strength? Because obviously, if you're training, let's say with the Eagles or the Packers, and you're Vince Young and you're escaping the pocket like we ain't ever seen before, surely the coaches are going to see that in training. Did you lose a little bit of pace? I don't think so. Again, you can go back and watch preseason games, the teams that I did play for. I outbit, I outplayed every quarterback. And then they just end up cutting me at the end. So, you know, all the film doesn't lie again. You know, I don't know, you know, what the situation was. But, again, my film doesn't lie. Uh, when I got into the game, I won. Uh, when I got in my time to, to play my two series or whatever, you know, I did what I was supposed to do, you know. You really knew how to win. Is there winners and losers, Vince? You just have a mentality that even regardless of what dark situation or mistake you can make, you'll always be able to get yourself out of it. Let's say we're talking about a DUI or something like that or some kind of TMZ film stuff you've got into before. Is there always a way out? There's always another day, man. Even though if you made a mistake, if you did something good or bad, there's always another day. So I kind of really believe in that. And um, in anything that I made mistakes up to, I, I live up. I, uh, I own up and accept my mistakes. And I, now I go about trying to fix it. What about the money? You know, the way people talk about the fact that whatever, you're 26 million guaranteed. And we read all sorts of crazy stuff like, ooh, five grand a week in a cheesecake factory. Or you booked out a whole plane in Southwest Ireland. Is that just all bullshit? Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Can't fight that. You know, when the media says something stupid like that. The world goes with it, and that's and they can they know that's not true. There's articles claiming that you booked out an entire commercial jet just because you wanted to fly alone. Does it ever bother you that there's going to be a day where your kids have a phone and have Google and they can type in your name and see lies about their old man? Yeah, and that's when I, that's when you tell them the truth. You know, I have no problem with telling the truth. If I did do something like that, I'd own up to it. Yeah, definitely did. I wanted my space, but that's not true, you know? So you got silly people out there just reporting that stuff. And that's just how some media are. I'm not saying everybody is, but, you know, sometimes that's just what it is. And people accepted that. So I couldn't do nothing about that at the time. And I don't even really entertain that type of stuff because it's just silly stuff. Like Exports people who kind of talk about the fact that they, they put their money into the wrong hands. They trusted the wrong people. Agents put it into avenues that they didn't know about. And that's why they went broke. Even Mike Tyson on the famous Don King story. Would that be the case with you? Is one of your main regrets that you trusted people you shouldn't have trusted and that you wish you kind of had some kind of representation that was maybe legally trained and financially trained more so than you did, as opposed to on-pitch regrets? Is that kind of the main one for you? Not really, man. Everything happens for a reason. So, you know, I learned from my mistakes and move on, and I'm in a better place from that situation. And it taught me, and it definitely taught a lot of people that was in around me as friends, that as athletes, all of the above, I can uh, mentor to them and saying, "Hey, be careful who you sign, who you have, who you work with, or who you work have work for you." Just got to be careful on that type of stuff. But it's always an outlet, you know. It's things that you can do to find out, and so you just got to make sure you your testimony. Just give your testimony to people because you can help people in whatever situation they may be going through. Do you still wake up every morning knowing, yeah, I'm Vy? I'm the greatest darn college quarterback that ever lived. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm a totally different guy than that. I was more so focused on my teammates, the happiness, and putting smiles on people's faces. I'm always thinking about the next person and uh, thinking about myself to, to better myself to be a better person. The guy who had the weight of 
28 million people of Texas on the shoulders and did what you did a fourth and five. I mean, although you say it's in the past and that you're humble, there's a certain mindset to be able to achieve that without feeling the nerves. Well, the main thing is stop focusing on what people say about you. And, you know, you have to keep that positive energy because, again, there's always another day, whatever you may be going through or whatever's good may go on through your life. And then you need to focus on your self-talk. You know, one of the biggest things is to yourself, you listen to yourself a lot, you know, and if you can fix your self-talk to keep it more positive than negative, then the outcome will be a little bit more better than what you are thinking that is happening to you. Because this is serious. This is a serious crisis right now that people are losing their lives over a sickness. What do you make? What do you make of the suicide crisis, Vince? Where's this tough? I mean, again, it's it's just the. the positive thoughts, the self-talk you got to fix and, and, and make sure that you get a, a a psychiatrist, somebody you can talk to to get off the stuff that's off your chest. If you're trying to deal with this stuff on your own, then that's when these negative things start to come into your mind. And that's why I'm saying positive talk and self-talk is a major deal that you have to uh, get better at. Because if you're listening to all these people out here in the world, you you'll think that you are what they're saying, you know, and what you're not. You're probably a really good person. All these negative thoughts come in your mind and you want to harm yourself and all these things. That's why you got to focus on your self-talk work, focus on yourself, focus on not listening to these people. And always remember, it's another day. It's always another day that you can get better. Do you see a therapist? Yes. And is that something that you'd recommend? Because it's a much bigger thing in the States for that to be something that someone just naturally does. My country, Ireland, or even the UK could benefit off the stigma behind getting mental therapy to be completely minimized because i believe that recognizing yourself or facing up to yourself is an essential part of the human function have you found therapy to be nothing but positive for you yeah because i was one of those guys that's kind of similar to you know your country i don't need no therapist <laughs> mm. I, was that, I was that same guy but until i tried it for my first time and it actually ha- helps me uh, you know to get off stuff that's bothering me keep me stress relief depressed, anxiety, you know, all these different things giving me different. Did it take a few sessions to get through to you? Were you defensive that they needed five or six sessions to break you down? No. I mean, when I'm talking to my psychiatrist, she says she never spoke to someone that opens up as much as I open up. You know, it takes a while for a lot of people to open up. But me, I already accepted for everything that happened in my life. I'd accepted it already and asked for forgiveness to anything I have done wrong. And then I'm happy about everything that I've done well. So I'm kind of into a point of, I don't mind giving my testimony because you never know who you help. A lot of people would be kind of put off by the fact that let's say we ask for help mentally and we go see a therapist and then suddenly we're labeled as something and we're given medication. Do you think that medication is sometimes too easily given out to the human mind and something that just kind of numbs people. I can't speak for everybody. You know, if you want to take these things, if you don't, I mean, I want to guys, I don't take stuff. So you don't take any medication for mental health. I don't I can't speak for everybody else. You never know. It might help some people, but me, I don't you, personally, you don't take it. Yeah. I find talking is my, my medication. And would you not agree that that's kind of the best way to be and that sometimes there might be a there might be a problem with how pharmaceutical companies are pushing these tablets for mental health medication that aren't necessary? Because as you just said, VY, talking is the best medicine. Yeah, that's just that's just my opinion. I just go off what works for Vince and that's the only thing I can speak about. I can't speak about anybody else.
in the world, you know, and I, all I can do is pray for them and make sure, you know, hopefully the best for them. Do you think there's been a benefit to having the kind of metaphorical figure of Jesus or God as another voice in your brain? You know, the way you're talking to listen to your own voice. Do you believe that the positive is kind of influenced by Jesus and it's nearly a parable, an internal parable, as opposed to you're actually going to heaven when you die? I just think whatever you believe in, man. <laughs> you think when you die, heaven or hell? Yeah, I think you go to internal life or you go to hell. I believe that, yep. And what about other religions? Islam, what about Judaism? Whatever, whatever helps you as a person to do good more than bad, if that's what it is, Islam, Buddhist, whatever it may be, if that were making you make better decisions to be a better person, then go with what makes you happy. Let's say somebody who's Muslim, raised in Iraq, raised in Egypt, they didn't have the kind of opportunity to be raised in Christianity, and let's just say it was social. Do they get the keys to repentment in heaven, or are they going to hell? It's whatever they believe in. You just get the opportunity to repent on St. Peter's Gates. Repent, yeah. That's that's what they say, right? Vince, are you ever going to come to the UK or Ireland? I would love to. When you get to Ireland, yeah, I want you to promise me you go to a pub called the Furry Bog in Whitechurch. Furry Pub. The Furry Bog. Furry Bog, okay. Furry Bog in Whitechurch. The poor you. Have you, have you tried Guinness? Yeah, I have been Guinness before, yeah. <laughs> Do you still drink, Vince? No, I just choose not to drink. You don't drink at all anymore? I don't choose. I just don't choose to drink. I mean, I, I have a drink every blue moon, but I choose not to drink. Do you think you're an alcoholic? No. Uh, no, I don't think I, I. I think I can get to the point of being an alcoholic when I was drinking like that. But no, I'm not. I'm in a whole total mindset in the whole lane right now that I don't. I just choose not to drink. What was your worst stage with the booze? The early NFL days? No, I think it was more so when I retired, when I was going through all my stuff. That was my worst days. And it was just an easier option, just going to have a few beers and just going to let this thing pass, and suddenly a few beers becomes a few months. You know, most it was mostly weekend social drinking, so it wasn't like I had to have a, have a drink in the house or stuff like that. It was mostly, you know, the stuff that I was dealing with, with all the stuff that I was not playing ball, uh, finding out about a lot of my finance stuff that was going on, uh, people suing me. Uh, sometimes my wife getting into it with her. I mean, it was just a lot of baggage. And the easy way was the, to drink. And Vince, what did happen to, to the millions? What do you mean? It's, it's, it's fine. <laughs> You're still living the life. I'm, I'm doing pretty good for myself. <laughs> 26 million guaranteed, one of the highest rookie contracts of all time. You're still being rewarded for being one of the most elusive runners we've ever darn seen. Appreciate that. Gambling. I'm not a gambler. College football is an unbelievably backed sport. It's huge in Vegas. People love their overs. People love their unders. People love their handicaps. Yeah, definitely. Was there ever an offer from a gambling syndicate, from a mafia member going, Vince, get over, get under, and here it is for you? No, nah, not me, but I heard of him, heard of that stuff, but never me. Do you know the day after you, you scored against USC, you get flown to Vegas? What happened there? We're talking Jordan. We're talking Jeter. What happened there? Yeah, I get on the uh, – well, actually, the, yeah, the day the day after the game, I went to Vegas to hung out with, you know, my friends and teammates and had opportunity to meet Tiger and Jeter and Michael Jordan. And And these guys knew who you were. Yeah, that was at the game. 
Jordan knew who you were when you were in college. Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah, definitely. And he was just going, Vince, great game. Oh, uh, yeah, that was a lot of respect, a lot of respect, and still to this day. So if you walk by Jordan on the street now, literal Michael Jordan, he go, V-Y, my man. What's <laughs> up? Let's go play some golf. <laughs> Have you played golf with MJ? No, I haven't. I've been to his golf tournament, though. Do you think he's the greatest b-baller of all time? Definitely. What about LeBron? I, I have Kobe first and then LeBron. It's crazy what happened to Kobe, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's my bar. I hate to talk about that because I was a good friend of his. You were good friends of Kobe? Yeah. Oh, shit, man. Really is a sobering situation, isn't it? Yeah, man. It's sad, man. But all prayers to him and his family and, you know, can't ever question God. So things happen for a reason. That was God's God's decision as God's decision, says you. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. Would you believe that for all kind of accidents or health situations that humans are subject to, you believe that like cancer or heart attack, that's just God, man. To me, with people with cancer and people that doesn't live long for a while, I call those angels because they came on earth to do what they were supposed to do and then they went back to glory. So basically, we're living in sims. God is kind of telling us if car crashes will happen or... Or planes will go down. All these things is part of life. Steroids. No, sir. Are they rampant in the NFL? I have no idea. I don't mess with none of that stuff. <laughs> but the size of some of these guys, Vince. A lot of guys do train now. You don't see the stuff behind the scenes, man. Guys do work out, man. They really focus in on getting in shape and getting prepared because, again, this is a way of their life. This take but care these of- guys look like they're walking out of the Chernobyl of muscle, Vince. They're massive. Yeah, I have no idea if they are. They are. I don't know. I don't. I don't move, mess around with no pills. I'm. I'm real. I'm real big on that. Did you lift much weights? I did enough for me to be where I needed to be. I didn't lift, lift a lot. I was more so of a sprinter or a runner. Could you have lifted more? No, I was. Again, I wasn't a big lifter, so I was more so in a small rubber bands and small weights and stuff like that. I was more reps than heavy, heavy weight. Vince, it's been. A pleasure to talk to you. I appreciate it, Big Mike. Please give my fans out there some love for me and tell them thank you for supporting my career over the years. And stay I do support you. Before we part, I want to give big up to Kobe and Steve McNair up there in the sky right now as well. Hey, man, of that. Definitely. You're a legend of Austin, Texas. You're a legend of college football. And listen, Vince, you're only 36. We might meet again over the phone. You never know. There's a long life out there, unless God's plan says otherwise exactly vincent young what an honor and hook him my brother all right thanks big mike man y'all enjoy the rest of your week all right you too my brother bye-bye some might say he did not live up to it but in the eyes of millions vince young will always remain an icon we're coming again on saturday with a show for the patrons only rate and review ma show it's been how many years, my boy? Audio book started. Shard and you audio still books. don't know my chairs of joy. No need to go, just take Radio it cast. slow. Podcast. And have you heard the Michael Anthony show? Oh
was fine. What's supposed to make me see the light? What about those tears? Tears believe my eyes. The hell's a make a fair? Makes me feel alright. Oh.